Hello. Carol? I see you, but I don't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh my God. <laughs> there she is. We did it. I'm so sorry, John. No, it's perfect. Totally fine. <laughs> All right. Oh my God. Okay. okay. Hey. <laughs> good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Long time. Yeah. I, I was what just thinking you... it was probably six or seven years ago that you came At to At least. Yeah. 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 So, so and you you're, still, you're still you in still, New York. I'm in, yeah, still in New York. I live in Woodstock, New York. Yeah. Are you still in Edmonton? I am. Right now I'm in Vancouver, but still based in Edmonton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I, 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 yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go. Cause okay. I'm, I'm just kind of settling down from being, all these things make me hysterical. Perfect. <laughs> um, we can't do it wrong, so we can just take a deep breath and relax. Um, yeah, I think the, 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 the podcast is really about um, just the magic that happens when we're together and, and we're, we make room for, for what's real and what's new to come through. And as I was sitting and thinking about who I would want to sit down with, you came to mind quite quickly. And uh, I had such a sweet experience with you uh, when you came to do it was a I don't know, four or five day workshop in Edmonton. Yeah. And, and you work with actors and it, it became really clear to me as we were getting into the workshop that, you know, we were doing stuff that was about acting and performing, but, but it was about so much more than that. And, yeah. and the way that you opened that space and invited people in and invited them to begin really kind of stretching outside of maybe their, their usual frame. Um, I was just uh, inspired by what, what took place. And it was familiar to me because my mom does uh, work that is, you know, not about acting, but, but very similar. So uh, I think I'm, I'm curious about lots of things. And maybe we could start with, with for you, uh, do you remember what initially brought you into acting? Like, what was it? Uh -oh. You're like, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, we, we should start from the beginning, no? I think it was the, my first cry after being born. I don't know. I, I was just one of those kids, I guess, who... Um, I was a born show-off. I was... Uh, I, 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 you know, we didn't, we didn't have videos, and my family didn't even take a lot of pictures, but I can imagine myself as one of those kids who just danced around all the time and, and, and I was singing all the time. My mom was a singer and, and so singing was just something that, that was part of my world and, and, and I loved the movies. I, I'm sure that I started going to movies as soon as I could sit still for a few minutes. I, I, I know that, that when I was eight, I was already a very experienced moviegoer because believe it or not, in New York City, when I was eight years old, I was, I was allowed to go, to, to enter into the movies by myself. There, was a ch there were children's sections and there was a matron who used to go back and forth with a flashlight and 
tell you to keep your feet off the seats in front of you and stuff like that. And, um, so if I, I remember not being able to wait until I was eight so I could go by myself. So Lord knows how, how long I've been going. And was there a movie you, like in that, the early, early years, um, was there a movie that stuck out for you that captured you? No, there were, there were groups, I guess. I mean, first of all, the, the, the early Disney cartoons I adored, Dumbo and Snow White and um, um, what's the other one that I love so much? Bambi. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think, yeah, I think those are the three that just have stayed with me. Um, but I, I was in love with MGM musicals and, uh, Betty Grable and, <laughs> and, um, I, 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 I certainly remember Betty Grable because, um, you know, and I don't look back on that as being, as it's like me having the best taste, but I don't know. Cause I haven't seen Betty Grable in a long <laughs> you were time, sick, so we but it was, the, you know, it was the war years. I, I was born in 1940 and I grew up in the war years. And what I knew about the war was, was basically when the, when the, um, movie stars would get would would join you know or they or there would be there would be a, a musical and and off gene kelly would go into the army uh while you know while he was trying to make a career in vaudeville or something and mm -hmm. um i don't I, I don't remember so much zero zeroing in on on specific movies or specific uh, um, stars, I believed it was true. Mm. I, I can remember wondering what they did in between the scenes of the movies because I, I didn't yet, I mean, I knew they were actors, but I don't think I knew what that quite meant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, was, it, was a, it was a world I could enter into totally and it didn't even matter you know when there were when on saturday afternoons when i was allowed into the movies by myself there were double features you could go in at any time nobody waited till the movie was starting nobody cared you went in you watched the rest of that one and then a bunch of cartoons and and a short like superman or something and then the, the beginning of the first movie and you would leave when the when you got to the place where the story filled in. So it was, it was a whole afternoon. And, and it, it made up my world. Mm. And I, and then and so many of those musicals were about actors on stage and people in vaudeville and all that. Um, I, I, it was perfectly natural for me to want to be what I saw in the movies. Mm -hmm. And you, there was no sense in you that you couldn't do it or uh, like, I don't no. know what it was like back then with no. how likely no. was it if, if, a, if a child had this dream of being a, a, an yeah. actor, was, was, it, was it sort of, oh, well, of course you'll do that or were your parents supportive? 
My, yes, my parents were always very supportive. Um, I think my mother was very disappointed when I focused on teaching many, many, many years later. And she couldn't understand how I could, she really couldn't understand how I could stop singing. Mm. And she was right. I should have kept singing. But, <laughs> um, um, I, no, there was, it because it wasn't, It was as much as I dreamed that I was going to grow up, I was going to grow up in that, that world. Mm. And, no, and nobody, and I didn't want to do it until, I mean, I remember, I had, I don't remember if I had it six or seven years ago when we met, but I had beautiful, burning, bright red hair, mm. wavy and banana curls. It was... Uh, my pride my whole life. And I used to and, and I used to get stopped, literally stopped in the street by women who wanted to know if asked my mother if I, they could go to the beauty parlor, if I could they could take me to the beauty parlor to get the color of my hair. <laughs> and I didn't particularly think I was pretty in other ways, I, I mean, I didn't think I, I didn't think about it. I knew I had this hair that got people's attention, but I didn't want. I didn't. I I didn't want to be noticed like that woman noticed me, hmm. or that those women. Actually, it really was those women. I didn't want to be noticed in that way, and I wanted to wait. I guess, I don't know, until I turned into Betty Grable. I don't really know. I never, I never really thought about it. That's a great, it's a great line of questioning. Hmm. Um, but my, my mother had been a professional singer and, and stopped before she was ready to have a family. And uh, I think I was in, you know, in some sense her future. And that was hard because I thought she was the greatest singer ever born. I still do. <laughs> and so for many, many years, I would not call myself a singer. I was, an, I was always an actress who sings. I would never think of myself as a singer. But I was a good singer. Mm. So I love singing. I still love singing. And, and what was, so you, you were in school, and then when you finished high school, what, what was next for you? Well, I, I, had, um, I had a big disappointment when I was in high school. I, I went to, um, now there are a lot of performing arts high schools, but in those days there was one and it was in New York City. And I, I went there, you had, to, you had to audition for it. And I went there in the ninth grade and it was, it was everything I, you know, had been dreaming of. And uh, before I went, and when I was, it was also um, a few years before my sister had contracted polio, and it sort of tore my whole world apart. And I think I, I think I just kind of went very internal for a while. And um, that year at performing arts was very, very hard for me, and I did not, as they said get asked back which meant i had to go to a regular um public high school and because all the all the good high schools at that time 
you had to test for, but if you weren't asked back into one of them, you had to go to the one, one of the ones that wasn't so good. So I, my whole world was torn when I was 14. Uh, in addition to, you know, living with my sister in that way. And then my sister survived and all, she had a tough life, but she, she, she died in her early sixties. Um, but so I had two very unhappy years, my sophomore and junior years of high school. And then my aunt who lived in Fairfield, Connecticut, asked me if I wanted to come and do my last year there and stay with her. And I said, yes. And I imagine she had talked to my parents about it before she asked me because it, it was not, there was no discussion. I just said, yes. And that turned out to be the saving that my, my, my teacher who saved my life was my high school English teacher who also taught the, the directed the plays and, um, but I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't do it right away. I, I, um, I, I didn't want to do it. I was afraid to do it. But something she saw, she saw me. This, this was your English Kate, teacher. My English teacher, Kate Bush. Mm. Um, she saw me, and and she wouldn't let let go. And then finally. Um, I was I was in a, a play that the that the whole the whole school was doing at that point. It was a was a it was the I think the two hundredth anniversary of um of uh, the town, and so we did a version of our town that we changed the name of the town from Grover's Corners to Fairfield and. And we made that our, our, our play. And I, I don't, I don't have that many memories of doing that. And I don't even know what part I played, but I was, I was home. And then the second semester we did a play that I played the two plays that I played leading roles in and and you know it was a, it was like <laughs> just putting oxygen in me. It was it was metaphorically then putting oxygen in me. So I never thought about I never thought about it quite that way before. But because my every other thought is breath, so so that's really that's what it did. It it saved me and and the rest of my life. It feels so when like this the. What was her name? Kate? Kate Bush. Kate Bush. So what, what you said she saw you. What, tell me what you mean by that. I don't know because I had become so, I thought, <laughs> I thought I had become so shy and maybe even self-effacing. But, you know, I, people, often describe me as having some kind of spark or they tell me that that my eyes are shining or something and uh, I don't I know when I get very excited about that happens when I get very excited about something when I when I'm passionate 
certainly happens when I'm teaching very often. So I, my guess is that that I wasn't hiding as well as I thought I was. I, I, I don't think I could. And there was something, and I read well. I read out loud well. I love to read out loud, and I, I don't think I connected that to acting yet. So, so when I read in class, I suppose I read pretty well. And so I don't know. She never told me, and I never even thought to ask her, but I've always felt that and she when I went to college I went to college back in New York and she used to come and see the plays that I was in um and she died before I got out of college so so that was but she as long as she could she she stayed with me I mean what what I hear and what you're saying is that I think in particular when we when we go through really difficult things and, and maybe life loses some of its shine, we we dim, you know, we, we might kind of close yeah. off or dim and yeah. but there's these moments where the light comes through and, and some people miss that and other people catch it and, and remind us that the light is there. I'm sure that that's a beautiful way of, of saying it. I'm sure that's true. Mm. I mean, I certainly see it in so many of the students that I work with who somebody's has frightened them to death somewhere or some, with something or somebody, I suppose, but somewhere. And it's one of my greatest pleasures to provide a safe space for that person to claim their power or their strength or their humor or their voice or or whatever. I'm really curious about, you know, the, the, of course it's a, it's a magical and creative act when you, when you re-inspire someone, but I'm also interested in, in the mechanics as much as we can kind mm -hmm. of learn about that. So I'm curious mm -hmm. if there were any particular interactions or conversations with Kate that, that you remember that were like life changing for you. No, I, I, I you know, my memory is so odd and, and I, I remember things viscerally. Um, so anyway, uh, th that, that truth about me is, is always, I used to think I had no memory. I used to think that, I don't know, I, I just, the answer to that question is clearly no but I can feel her presence. I can only vaguely maybe tell you what she looked like, but, and really vaguely, but I, I, she is, you know, I, I and I don't, I, I don't, I, I've never heard anybody else talk like that. So I, I'm sure it's, I'm not the only person, but, but it is an odd thing. So, like, you know, my sister and I, my, my older sister and I, when we talk about things that happened in the past, we remember them so differently. So there, are, I have no words from her, but I have, I have a sense of strength from her, the sense of me from her. 
What, what, could you say, I mean, again, I'm going to try to fill in please, please. gaps and you can tell me how close I am. And, and I, love, I love what you're saying about memory because we know that, that some of our memory is somatic. It's in our body. It's not intellectual. And, and I think for all of us, when we're pre-language, pretty much all of our memory is, is visceral and, and somatic. Right. But I think for some people, even once language gets introduced, they're so in relationship with their body and that's their primary relating space. And so memory still kind of lands there more easily for them than in, in an intellectual way. So, so I hear that. And, and um, I, I guess in terms of the somatic memory, what I hear when you said strength and that you, you knew you in her or something like that, it's like you got to know yourself again through her. Uh -huh. and, and for me, what that rings is that at a base level, we are way more the same than we are different. Mm -hmm. And that when we're with someone who is deeply authentic, deeply at home within themselves, we can relax. And when we yes. relax, we come back home. Yes. Yes. What, what's there in us, which is what yes. to heal instead of whatever we've laid over top to cope or make life easier or more manageable or to make more sense in what can often make little sense, especially when we're little. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good description of what happens when I work with breath. Um, and I think of it, my, so my vocabulary is that, is that the communication happens through the breath, that the words are just an overlay uh, and the communication really happens and in a funny way, I mean, we can even have that over this extraordinary mechanism, even though our breath is not in the same room. Um, that's why movies work, or that's why, you know, um, recordings work. You don't even have to see somebody. Um, when somebody is from living in that place and coming from that place, it just speaks if not to the rest of us, at least to many of us. Sweet. So, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you had a career in, in acting and, and singing. Um, are there any highlights, any things that stuck out for you around just, because it, it became clear to me quite a while ago that we're doing what we're doing, whether we're actors or we're pipe fitters or we're artists or, we're teachers or, you know, we're doing that. But, but actually, like you said, the breath is there. The, the words are the overlay. So the things we do are the overlay. And then something else is happening mm -hmm. that, that actually is deeper and more meaningful than the stuff of our lives. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you, is there anything you could glean from your, your career as a performer? And, and then for sure, I want to talk with you a little bit about what mm -hmm. has been for you and what you've noticed there. Maybe three things are sort of fading in and out. Mm -hmm. um, I got to do Fiddler on the Roof with Zero Mostel. And Zero Mostel was a person who lived in that space. I would not have known, I would not have begun to have known how to, how to describe it.
at the time, I just knew it to be true. And it was a it was a kind of a special time. I it was I was not on Broadway with him. I was doing a summer stock tour with a, a wonderful old opera singer who I don't think people know anymore named Jan, Jan Pierce. Um and who an aging opera singer, but still his voice was so amazing. And standing next to him in the scene where we did the Sabbath prayer has to that just that kind of that has to stand out as one of the extraordinary moments of my life. But but he wasn't a very good actor. He was fine. He was fine in the role, but but Zermastel had when he left the Broadway company. He had a um, he had had a bus accident and he lost the use of his leg for a long time and he didn't work at all and we were the first the first work he did as an actor as far as I know after the um, the after the accident we and and we had finished with with Jan we came back to New York. We played those big tents. They used to have those big uh, tents, uh, theater in the round. Mm -hmm. Some of them were indoors, some of them were outdoors. Um, and we came back to New York and we rehearsed for two weeks. Most, most of us had been doing the show. So maybe we only rehearsed for a week. Um, but the first time we saw him, we did a run through with him. I mean, it was like, hello, how are you? Nice <laughs> to meet you. And then it was like, he was, he was my father. <laughs> and he was, his presence was, his presence filled every space. And, but it didn't leave you out because he was so, um, how do I even say this? He, he didn't miss anything. He incorporated everything that happened. He was, I, in, in those days, we didn't, we didn't talk about improv very much, except as, 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 um, except as something else that we think of now. I don't need to go into that, but um, he was a, the quintessential improviser because he couldn't not take things in. And so he responded to everything. So, so wherever you were, you were a part of what was going on. You were in the ultimate inclusion. And I guess the, the moment, not I guess, the moment that stands out for me was we'd been doing the show for a while. The, the, scenes, the scenes started kind of growing a little. The scene, I, I was Saito, the oldest daughter. And in the scene where I beg him to let me marry the, um, the, the tailor, Muttle the tailor, uh, he gets very angry when he hears that's what I want to do. And then I start crying and, I, and it was staged so that I... I cried in his, I, I, I like kneeled down before him and put my head in his lap and 
cried, begging him, don't make me marry him, Papa, meaning the big fat guy that, that they wanted me to marry. And um, old, big fat old guy. And uh, one time he started crying. And I looked up at him. And I started comforting him. And I... I think I think that was the moment that I knew what acting could be. And I I think it's probably true as I as I as I think about it now that the rest of my life has been about how do you do that? How does that happen? It was such an amazing thing to me that that I went so completely out of the, the bounds of what I thought had existed, the, the, the boundaries I thought had existed. And what, um, what do you think allows for that? Like, I, I'm just, I, I, you brought me to tears just telling that story. Um, I, I, I have a, a theory or, or at least a, a sentiment that we all start that way. We're all, the the quintessential improviser absolutely and 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 then we we get taught out of it or convinced or we make up our own stories that that's not really what we're supposed to do right right and some people come back home to that and and so i'm curious for you getting a chance to act with this man who who reminded you in, in a powerful way and that you enough so that it became your life's work to, to live that and to, and to bring that into, of course, acting, but obviously beyond that. So like, mm-hmm. what is it that you think, if, if you were going to spin a story about what allowed him to be that for you, and then maybe anything you want to share about what your journey has been like to come back to that? Well, I think what allowed him to be that for me, because he was that. I think just being in his presence. I, I, I'd never been in anybody's presence like that before. Ever, I, I mean, I, he was so he was so unique, and a lot of people didn't like that about him. The woman who played who played Golda, the the mother in that production, hated working with him because he never did anything the same way twice. I I remember that so well, and I knew that wasn't the kind of actor I wanted to be, and I take. I've taken enough classes to have an intellectual concept of what being in the moment was supposed to be. But I don't think I, I don't think I really had an experience of it. I I don't even know if that's true, but not like, I mean, not like with Zero Mostel. But I I think what I'm asking is if you were going to, you know, participate in conjecture about what in his life, if he lost his way and found his way back, what do you think it was for him that, 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 that he was able to live a life where that's what he became? Because I agree, it's, it wasn't what he did with you that did it, but it was what he was being, what he was holding, what he was representing while he was doing what he was doing. So what, what allows us to live a life where that's what we become? I, I don't know too much about 
about his early life except to know that he was the son of immigrants, Jewish immigrants, that there was some um, some of the joy part of of that experience, which so many, uh, not just Jewish immigrants uh, 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 in this country in the early days got got smashed, but some of that some of that Hasidic not Hasidic in the way we think of it now, but the old-fashioned, mystical, Hasidic joy was in him. Um, The joy that you hear in in really good, hot klezmer music. And that he was so physically odd. He was a big man, and I think he always was. His arms, I think, were shorter than, than they, you know, just... Disproportionate. Yeah. Um, And I guess he had to make a choice whether he was going to celebrate that or, or, or hide it or be unhappy about it. And he was funny. He was always, he had the gift of humor and, and with a spirit like that, there's really no place for him to go, but the stage and and he he came in at a time where there was room for him i don't think he did yiddish theater but still there was there was room for him and and he was just also so unique and uniquely talented i know he he went through horrible things i mean he was blacklisted for many years um and and I'm sure growing up in poverty and who knows how much discrimination he experienced. And Fiddler on the Roof was his his first time back after being blacklisted. No, that's not true. That's not true. A funny thing happened on the way the forum was. I, 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 you know, I see. I have a I have a young my cousin's daughter, so she's not my niece. She feels like my niece, but she's my cousin. Two generations down. Um, who is like that? She's, she's this effervescence in her is unstoppable. And she's incredibly smart. And she was just, she was just nine years old. And she, she's, <laughs> She's been reading the complete works of, of, of Harry Potter for years now on her own. I mean, I'm, it's like, it's crazy. And, but she, and she sings and dances all the time. And she loves the theater. I like to think that I was like that. And I, I live in fear of the next few years for her because that's when it, I mean, she's held on to it because she's encouraged by her parents, I'm sure. And she, they make sure she's in places where, where that's encouraged. But as, you know, as she starts to get closer to adolescence, I, uh, some people get through. 
And I pray that she's one of them. At the same time, I can honestly say, if I look back on my life and switch the story back to my life, I had to claw my way through. And, and, and sometimes I think that my acting years were only about knowing something that I loved so much that I would be able to teach it. That, that teaching, I mean, based on results, it's true, but teaching is, is where I have been able to fulfill the gifts that I have. And that, although there's, you know, there's still a part of me that goes, yeah, but I'm not fulfilling my childhood fantasy. Um, so something must be wrong. I must be a failure. I don't do that so much anymore, but I sure did it for many years. Mm-hmm. So that's, That, that spark, that spirit, that extraordinary thing that children are born with is so delicate and strong, like flowers or butterflies. Or... Do you have any sense of what, what can make the difference? Again, I, this, this whole idea of the interpersonal space and... and relationships that that are able to be they they enable us to be more than the sum of our parts to me there's something about relationship and about connection that that can be the difference for someone in terms of yeah having the spark and losing it and never really getting it back or having the spark losing it and then knowing in spite of how life can feel which is that maybe it'll never be back maybe it's not even worth it to try that people can somehow feel that and still move right, forward. Right, right, right. And so, you know. Lord knows, so, so enough people have described that to me, um, young and old. Um, I think other people, I think, I think the love and care and nourishment of other people, I, I, I think we need each other so badly. Not, I don't mean that it's bad, but mm-hmm. I mean, we need each other and we need, we're so fragile on our own, each one of us. And we need families and, and tribes and communities and, and, and countries even, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of looking at that now, but, yeah. um, but, but we do, we need to, it's too, it's too lonely out here. It's too, it's too lonely out here. Do you know who Elaine Stritch is? No, it doesn't sound familiar. She was actually, Elaine Stritch was a fabulous actress and singer who was, um, was in her younger years a um, 
a severe, uh, I don't know when it isn't, but an alcoholic. And um, in her older years, she did a one-woman show where she talked about her her journey. Um, And she's describing the first time she went out on stage sober as being you know the most terrifying moment and she quotes another actor who um is standing with a glass of some kind of liquor in his hand waiting to go on and somebody says something to him like you know do you always do that and he just says yeah, it's lonely out there. And I think that's, you know, the the worst thing for me is, I guess, not being alone, per se, but that, that kind of existential loneliness. And that it, it, it is my fervent prayer, I guess, that That living a good life, meaning having having values that that um, that encourage kindness or or um, enjoyment of each other or closeness or love um, looking out for each other that that it will have some incarnation so that so that I can be accompanied by by such people all my life and that I can be that for other people. I don't know that that is anywhere near the answer to your question, but I don't know how to get any closer. I have another question that it's, it's a, maybe a different angle and, and more specific, but it, it's just been ringing for me and not the first time I've thought of it, but I guess it goes something like what's the role of pain in, (laughs) in acting, in, in talented acting and, and also in sort of the meaning of acting because it seems there's a relationship quite obviously to me. Um, And I'm wondering what your take on that is, you know, people who have experienced a lot, and what, mm-hmm. what does that enable? I've, oftentimes I think we see pain as, as a problem or a bad thing. And, and for me, it's, it's not that. It's, it's more pain in the absence of, of a meaning that, that can create a context for that pain. Sure. And really struggle. So what are your kind of insights about pain in, in, in acting or beyond? Yeah. Well, first of all, the, fir- the, the first thing that I come to is pain is the great teacher. We're, 
we're we're just too stubborn to <laughs> to learn in many other ways. Pain and love are the great teachers, and I think maybe pain wins out. Or maybe they're they're co they're co facilitators. Maybe they are. That would be nice. The good cop and the bad cop. Mm -hmm. um, um, this is so wonderful, Dolphin. I'm having such a good time. Good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, so. To be an actor, I'll, I'll start here because I don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. To be an actor, one has to learn that pain is fleeting, that any emotion is fleeting. I, and, and I assume we're talking about pain as an emotion as opposed to a sensation. Mm -hmm. But either way, I mean, although there is, there certainly are people who are in constant physical pain all the time, and there are people who are severely depressed all the time. But th we're, that's not what I'm talking about. So pain passes. And as, as, an, act, as, as an actor, in my uh, view, when I learn that I can breathe through that and that facilitates the pain moving through, like, like it's a tunnel that it moves through, then I can be willing to go into it without fear that it will capture me. And I feel, as an actor, that's an incredibly important piece of the puzzle that has to be solved because people can really be hurt by that. Because whether, whether it's really happening in, in whatever reality is or really happening within, within a made-up situation, it's really happening. Mm -hmm. And the body, they say, the body doesn't know the difference. It wouldn't surprise me if that were true. <sighs> the, ten, the, 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 the most important tenant of Judaism says, you were slaves in Egypt, so you have to remember you have to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and God's hand brought you out. But the, the, the piece of that that's important is not so much God's hand brought you out as remembering that you were slaves because how else will you be able to recognize both where you are still enslaved emotionally, mentally, figuratively in any way, metaphorically. And, and how will you, how will you um, empathize with or feel actually the, the pain of others? So in a funny way, here's a thought I'd never had before. The theater is a way of reminding us, art is a way of reminding us 
of being in that pain. Some pain that I had once. I don't mean I don't mean as an actor remembering a time when, because I don't do that. I mean sitting in an audience and watching Blanche Dubois self-destruct. If if I have never had the experience of somehow losing myself. Why would I sit there and want to watch even the greatest of actors move through that unless it was going to teach me something or offer me something? It makes me, it makes me think of the, there's a beautiful, I think it's just a part of a longer poem, but from Rumi, which is the cure for pain is in the pain. Yes, the, the, the only way out is through, right? Mm. I mean, it, yes. It, it, and that's why it's so... The ways in which we destroy our bodies to keep from feeling pain is is so useless incredibly tempting but useless because it's going to get us one way or another so to know and i think I think one of the really good things about getting old there, Dolphin, is that each time I go through something, it's, a, it's likely I've been through it before, something at least like it, and I know I got through it before, and I, so the chances are I'm going to get through it now. And people in their 20s starting out life I think that's the hardest part of life because you, you're going through it for the first time as an adult without mommy and daddy and you don't know if you're going to get through it or not. Mm-hmm. You don't know. I have such compassion for young people like that <laughs> over, over that. I do. I, I do. There's some really good things about getting older. Yeah, go ahead. Us younger (laughs) folk would love to hear. (laughs) Well, watching people grow up, Mm. watching people you held in your your arms as babies grow up into people and, and... and if it happens early enough, become your friends and your colleagues and your, your, your equals. I, I, I cannot, and it keeps happening because then they have babies and then they have babies. So I'm old enough now to have, you know, I've experienced that quite a, quite a few times of babies having babies. Um, Ha- 
having less concern with how one looks and, you know, giving, and I don't mean not wanting to look well or take care of yourself, but, but to, to, to get, to, to surrender to, you know, this is, this is it. This is, this is, this is what not, not everybody's. I, I just, I, I just turned, um, 79. I have to think about it in, uh, in May. And this is what my 79 looks like. And, 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 and I spent, because in my acting years, especially, and being a woman in, in, in our culture, I've spent so much time and effort and pain <laughs> in my life on being thin enough and um, mostly being thin enough. And it, it, it's, it, it, I don't think it ever completely goes away more and more, but it's so much more. Uh, it's so much, so much freer. I'm not, I'm not worried about what people are going to say in the same ways. And, and I, I can ask, I can ask for things. People get up for me in the subway. <laughs> it's, it's so wild to me. I, I don't know. I don't know what people see when they see me. But um, it's, uh, I love it. Mm. I just, I love it. And the only thing I don't love is somebody, and I, I don't get this much. My husband's a lot older than I am. He gets it a lot. And he's also ill. So he gets it even more about when they, when they talk to you like you're in kindergarten. I don't mm. like that. And I can tell somebody that. Don't talk to me that way. <laughs> I'm a person here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I think that about covers that. So I have a question associated with, with that lovely sharing, and, and it, it goes to, you know, what we stress out about, what we worry about, what we put un, undue, unnecessary energy and attention on when we're young. Mm -hmm. And then we're older, and we, we, we have all this perspective. And wouldn't it be lovely to have that perspective <laughs> when we're young? And you, how you bet it would. <laughs> how do you do? So how do you do that? Because it, just telling them isn't enough. You can't just put it on a sign and then all the 20-year-olds are going to be like, oh, yeah, right. I shouldn't worry so much about how, what people yeah, think. But of see, you see that, I mean, but if, if, if we're talking about that and pain at the same time, you can't save people from that. You can't. I, I mean, God knows parents try to save, save their children from pain. But it has to happen. Sure. I mean, you I can certainly, you can certainly, you can certainly make sure and as best you can that a child knows or a young person knows that they have worth and that what they have to say is important and that what they want to do in the world is important, how they see themselves in the world is important. And so, so they're not fighting some 
horrible image that's been pasted on them. They've been drowned in. You know, I—that's I, I, what a good parent will will attempt to do, I think. But at the same time, you also have to supply that child with rules and and uh, appropriate behaviors and uh, all kinds of things, so they can live in the world. So it's really a balance. Mm-hmm. And you know, where's a safe place to do this, and where's a not a safe place to do this? all that so uh, maybe we could talk a little bit because i mean what you're speaking about and this has been uh, a big chunk of my work as an adult is working with teenagers children that have had really really tough lives and and often with abuse and abandonment and and mental illness drug and alcohol abuse that's um, almost always a part of their history and so then what what I was doing for the last few years was working with an organization in Edmonton where uh, the conversation and really informed by attachment theory and some trauma-informed practices, how can we deliver what these teenagers and young adults didn't get when they were little so that they can get back on a healthy developmental trajectory, which I think for all of us, whatever really helps us heal is about that. It's about delivering what wasn't there or that what wasn't right mm-hmm. about our childhood mm-hmm. or when we were younger in mm-hmm. our current state so that those pieces that are disintegrated can come back into integration and then we can move forward and, and right. so I'm, I'm wondering about because you, you know you're an acting teacher but but you're doing more than teaching people how to you know read a script Clearly. right and so Clearly. tell me a little bit about how that came together and, and what how you would characterize your work with actors and, and with the general public, because I know you work with people beyond just professional actors. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's exactly the same, although you don't always uh, use the same materials, but it's the same work. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's the same work that you're doing. Um, so... So the night before I taught my first acting class, I pulled a wonderful book by Viola Spolin, who was the the impetus for for the improv movement in your country and mine. Uh, in she lived in Chicago in the 1950s, and everything we know about about theater improvisation comes from her and she wrote a book oh god now I'm going to forget about what it's called but anyway I I um, pulled that off my shelf and I read the the preface or the introduction or whatever it was and what I came away from with that was create a safe space that the first, the first thing that has to happen is you create a safe space. So I suppose what that meant and means to me, because what, what the hell does it mean, is that somehow, I mean, this was, I'm, I'm speaking now in retrospect because I, I can't, 
I, I'm sure I didn't think of this when I first went into that first class, but, but, but what I do is I fall in love with all my students. And I, I strangely, this is also not on purpose, I don't know their names. I can't remember their names until I have seen and heard something from them and is that 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 means this is this is an individual to me and as soon as i see that i remember that name sometimes forever i i was very glad it was you and not somebody else in that group because i knew i would remember who you were because (laughs) (laughs) i make it easy for people it's one of the gifts i have in my relationships (laughs) People don't have to worry so much about remembering my name. Exactly. Um, so I, I do seem to do that. I, if somebody has the, I don't know, the, the, the courage, the um, passion, the caring, the, the, the insanity to show up in one of my classes, whether it's, they've come because they know me or they're, you know, I'm working for some organization or whatever. I, I, I have to, and it very, very, very rarely through the years, maybe once or twice that I had difficulty with that, but usually I don't. And, and then, and when I do, then I have to act as if I do. And then often, uh, you know, well, I don't know. I can't say often because it hasn't happened. So that's the first thing. And so that means I am listening. The first thing I will do in a class is ask people to talk about themselves. Uh, and, and in some way uh, that it's not just a regular, my name is I come from, but something, something uh, significant about themselves. And, and get people seeing each other because people don't like to look at each other until they feel safe. Even then, a lot of people don't like to look at each other. Seeing somebody is very threatening because it all, first of all, you get to, you get to see what their, or what you imagine their take is on you. But you also get to realize that you're being seen. So that's the, the, to, to encourage people to see each other um, and then, you know, to talk to each other, eventually to get into a place where we're breathing together. Um, uh, I feel like it's really important that, that it's all, that the body gets to act as naturally as possible. So um, one, of, one of the hardest things that I have to do in talking about breath is that stop people from um, going automatically into either a cross-legged position if they're on the floor or putting their feet flat on the floor and their hands on their knees if they're, if they're in, in a chair, that, that those are positions we learn and there are disciplines to uh, breath disciplines that require those kinds of positions and that's good for that discipline but that's not what we're doing here we're we're representing life 
I'm just going to uncross my legs and take my <laughs> hand off my knee here. And sorry, continue. I remember that. No I remember you. I re you were on us for the first day or two. You were on us constantly telling us to I was, I get was. into a different position. I was. Because it's what we do. Except when we think we're supposed to sit right or <laughs> breathe right or whatever. Good. I'm glad you remember that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so just that in itself is so freeing. It's remarkable how freeing that is. So the safe space starts to be created. And what I'm eventually aiming towards is that each of those people will be able to carry that safe space through those mechanisms into any space they go into. So that's big. It's huge. What makes me think of in, in, the, in the world of attachment, one of the things they talk about is um, there's a program called Circle of Security. And the way they describe it is when, when a baby has their, need, their needs met, especially in the first 12 to 18 months of life, and the caregiver is consistent, what that, what that has land in the baby is that life is safe, people are safe, they're going to be okay. And when distress happens, they know that there's a safe home base. Right. from which right. they're going to get what they need. And then what we see in children who have that home base and a parent that isn't controlling is that the baby, the young child, begins to naturally explore their environment to larger and larger concentric circles away from their home base. That's lovely. And That's if they lovely. run into difficulty, they go back and they get soothed and then they go out and explore again. And, and the, the only way a child will do that freely is if they know that home base is there. If that home base isn't there, they, they tend not to explore as much, or when they do get into trouble, they don't go back to home base and they get into right. all sorts of other trouble wow. because they're wow. not getting their needs met. So right. like to me, that, that base is like the blueprint for how we operate, especially around things that freak us out or scare us, or maybe things that are painful. So like this, this, this safety it, to me is like this home base you're creating for them because and this is what my mom and I do a lot or we've talked about is what we're really wanting to do is create a space within which people feel safe enough to feel unsafe. Exactly. Exactly. That's what, one of the ways that I, that I um, describe what acting is, is, is that you're, you're comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, a, it's so that it takes some time to, let me just take care of this. Yes. You are welcome to sit down and listen. You're not eavesdropping. Please listen and, 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 and enjoy. Because uh, this is fascinating for me anyway. <laughs> so, and this is what's going on here today. <laughs> you never know. No. That's beautiful. So that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> And, and that, that with any group, whether, whether it's people who want to then manifest it as actors or, or clergy or lawyers or, or whatever, um, the safe space and that comes from other people. And so I guess that, you know, that's what I was saying before. Other people are our, 
are our gods and our devils. Mm. Okay. So one other thing that came up, I mean, let me see what time we got here. Um, we got a little bit more time. Uh, one of the things that I remember really clearly that I loved about the workshop and I wanted to just check in with you about was um, often we would be doing something and, and of course in this four or five day workshop, things came up. People had, um, you know, sadness, pain, grief, frustration, all of this stuff. And someone in the group would maybe look to help or intervene and you would say, don't help. I heard you say it dozens of times throughout the weekend. Yeah, because so, your group was, was really programmed to do that. Yeah. And so I just wanted to hear from you, even though I have my own ideas, like wh why is it that you said that a lot of facilitators, um, you know, they let that stuff happen and you clearly weren't. And, and I'm just, yeah, would love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Well, the, the first thing that occurs to me is that as my, as my training comes from acting, um, I have to build the courage to enter into pain, like what we were talking about before. And I have to do it. My, I have to have, I have to have that courage to do it myself. But I also feel so strongly that so much of that immediate compassion shuts off the person who's talking, who's the person who's in pain, that it, um, it's, it's not in a horrible, selfish way, but in, it's, in a human way, um, it, it's the, the person who's offering the help taking care of themselves, making sure that their safe space doesn't get violated, uh, which you can't blame anybody for. But to let somebody go, let somebody talk, let somebody cry or scream or whatever, because um, that's what they need to do right then. And if they're safe enough, if they're feeling safe enough to do it, just you're holding the space. I mean, I'm never, I hope to God, I'm never not holding the space. So that's, I think that's the answer mm -hmm. to that. Yeah, I often talk about it as it definitely, for the most part, is about the person helping. It's, mm -hmm. it's the feelings they're having that are motivating them to, to play out that compassion uh, mm -hmm. behavior. And that it is, it is almost, it is very often an interruption of yeah. a healthy, natural unfolding. Exactly. Yeah, I just, I, I, liked, I liked how you operated in it. And, um, and I think a lot of people didn't get it. Some people kind of bristle at that. Like, mm -hmm. well, what do you mean? You're, you don't care or whatever that right. is. And then we're on to them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anything else for you? Uh, you like, actually, I would maybe like to hear a little bit more about for, for actors, because what I noticed in that workshop that you did was mostly, I mean, almost exclusively non-actors in the group that was together mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then at the end, we were, we were each participating in, in a, a performance of some kind that centered around us. And, and you were guiding us in, in ways in which we could 
express our peace that maybe is outside of our, our familiar, our comfort, like we will most naturally stay with the things that we're strong at, but in that it limits everything. And so I, I watched you masterfully guide people and, and mm. open sort of doorways or pathways to expression that, that weren't easily accessible to them. So I would love to hear that part for you. How, how, what are you doing there? What do you, how do you do that? And, and, and what does that have to do with acting or life? For whatever reason, what I have come to see as I work with people is what I, what I describe as energy blocks. I can, I can see the energy stopping the impulse. So that I consider that my job is to help free the energy to assist in helping to free the energy. So it doesn't really matter. And for the purpose of communication, I mean, you know, for the purpose of communication uh, uh, as well as self expression. But, but I think of it more for the purpose of communication, which requires self expression. <sighs> So I don't, you know, I don't remember what I did with y'all, but the, the, I don't think it really matters because in one way or another, that's, that's what I'm going to be doing with any group I'm working with. With actors, it's pretty free and clear. People will be working on a scene, and um, whereas uh, another teacher might talk about the motivation of the character or. Um, the history of the character, or I'll talk about what did you what did you just want to do just then, or what did your hand want to do when you when it flicked up and pulled it got pulled back? What what what's going on there? Um, it's just become the way I see the world in terms of experience explored impulse or unexpressed impulses and and the being in the presence of unexpressed impulses is very difficult uh, for me in a variety of ways and so I have to learn how to in my life take care of myself in that in those situations whereas when in a class that I'm in charge um, 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 that's my goal is to get through as many of them as I can and I think I basically I think my selfish motivation Dolphin is is that I feel safer when I know what people are about I feel safer in a world where people are telling some version of the truth Yeah, but as you say that, I was just thinking about um, a question, which is these impulses, which, which could maybe be described as like authentic, the movement of authentic expression, these things that quote unquote want to come through. And right. for whatever reason, we've said, no, I'm not right. going to allow that. And right. that we all have our reasons 
that we've all been through what we've been through and drawn conclusions that we've drawn that have made it seem worth it to close ourselves off to these authentic expressions and these authentic movements, to, to recognize that we have our stories and our reasons, and yet it is possible to, to reopen that channel and, and just hear in, in everything that we've talked about that that's, that's a, you know, a calling and a gift of yours is to, to invite people into a space in which they're able to, to reopen those channels where in a way they can, they can be themselves again and, and express in a way that, that is full and, and free. And, um, and that that in itself is a profoundly healing experience. Yeah. Yeah. Profoundly. And, and that, that there's somebody, there's somebody who, who will take the time with you to see it through. Just knowing that. You know, I, I mean, it's remarkable to me that after all this time that you have, have such, such rich memories of what we did together. And, and it's not, it's remarkable, but it's not unusual. Mm -hmm. I am, I, I, I taught a workshop in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago and there were two people in it who I'd been working on and off with for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> insane mm. and I and I remember so many people that I worked with I don't remember everybody and that always upsets me when I don't but so we're, we're nearly out of time the, the thing that came to me to kind of close with and then anything else you wanted to say was um, you know you you authored a book and then the, yes the, the title breathing awareness and joy yes those words I like of course, we all know those words, uh, and I was wondering if you could maybe flesh them out for us, just in terms of what does that mean, and 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 what is what has that meant to you, and and the work you do, but also in your life. So I consider that breathing awareness and joy are the the um, like like the legs of the three-legged stool um, for my approach to acting and therefore my approach to life. I learned long ago that I, I learn things through acting before I learn them any other way. And I love that because it's, it's fun. Learning is fun. Um, so breathing is... Um, the goal in the breathing is to get as close as I can come to my, the way my breath was when I came into the world before, before I was told what to do and what not to do, before people were yelling around me, before, before I was in physical danger. So... If you, look, if you look at a baby breathe or you look at a kitten breathe or a puppy breathe, it's so, it's continuous and it's easy and 
it, not just when they're sleeping because when, and they could be jumping around if you could if you can see the breath and it's it's moving rapidly but it's still it's happening it's it's the body is is working and 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 looking to get as close to that as possible by being aware of your breath so it is a, there's a trick of course it's sort of a patting your head and rubbing your belly kind of trick in in doing that with awareness what i might what i might be doing sometimes when i'm really easy in myself um or having a great time and not feeling any stress when i would be doing that without awareness but to be to bring in awareness and, and know that awareness is not thinking about awareness is not concentrating awareness is just being aware so so there's some skill involved in that and it takes some people a little time to learn that but it's not impossible by any means so there's the breathing and there's the awareness and the joy is that when i when i am living in 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 moments of joy part of the definition of that has to be that my breath is free so i so i can come to it both ways i can come to it from from doing what i now this is on the stage and this is you know so it has to be thought of somewhat differently uh in 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 life but but when i do what i want to do and i follow my impulses when i when i uh seek the joy of my own experience whatever that experience is then my freeing my breath becomes um freeing my breath is but that doesn't happen for long periods of time uh without tension creeping in and so awareness is still important so on the stage i have to be it's my contract to be as free to respond within the context in which i have put myself as free to respond as free to receive to listen to to receive those impulses as close to zero myself coming back to the beginning of our conversation um as i as i can and and uh so that even though nobody told me to do it it's perfectly normal for me to reach out to comfort my father who starts crying because i am and and then taking that into my life knowing that when when i start to get tense when i start to get afraid just god just learning learning this business of caregiving that i've had to do over the last couple of years and much more intense now i don't know what i, I would do 
if I didn't have access to my breath the way I do. Uh, to, to stay with myself, to, to trust myself. There's so much fear involved in caregiving. What if I do the wrong thing? And, 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 in, and in, in working through feelings of anger, fury, whether, you know, whether it's his, his anger, his frustration, or my own frustration. So just to, you know, the other people have different mechanisms, but to be without one, I, 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 I would be bereft. So there, there are so many, you know, you start with, okay, for an actor going into an interview, stay wherever you breath, and you end up with taking care of your husband who is dependent. And I guess that's why that whole thing that I talked about before about, about the arc of life and doing my best to, and only my best, <laughs> to uh, live a good life, live a moral life, whatever I consider that to be. And, and having... And, and hoping and praying that that some someone will be there to take care of me. So hoping and praying that each child that comes in the world will have someone to take care of them. So that's, to me, there never has been a different difference between my creative life and my spiritual life so to speak and because I I choose to live my spiritual life through Judaism I see I see all the lessons in Judaism towards what I believe about what I know to be needed in acting and vice versa it's all it's, it's all, all life it's all life mm -hmm. It's all life. It's been super sweet to talk with you, Carol. <laughs> Me too. Me too, Dolphin. What a treat. Yeah, I, I, I just knew it would be. So thank you for making the time. Uh, for anyone that might be checking this out and wanting to see, hear, experience more, do you have anything happening or coming up in the next while? Uh, is there anything else that people might be able to Well, let me, my, let me say that my website... Uh, is carolfoxprescott.com. Mm -hmm. Right now I have a GoFundMe campaign going on for a Haggadah, which is the book we read at Passover. Um, we, as Jews, we sit around the table and tell the story of the Exodus, the story of being freed from slavery. And a group of women and I have have written a Haggadah that's where the story of Exodus is told from the point of view of the women of Exodus, which is very different, um, certainly from traditional Haggadahs. And even um, there are many wonderful, sorry, that's my washing machine. 
very wonderful feminist Haggadahs, but this is even different from that because mm -hmm. these there are a lot of there are more women in the Book of Exodus who 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 all of a sudden appear to like the, if men the men are kind of um, losing track of of where they need to go, some woman appears to send it in the right to send the story in the right direction. So we have created their voices and we tell the stories through them. So that is my most exciting project at the moment. Other than I have a, I have a Philadelphia workshop coming up in September and hopefully another LA workshop sometime pretty soon. And, um, and that's, uh, that's a lot of what's going on. And with the GoFundMe, is, is, is your website a place where they can get information about that? Yes. Uh, no, um, although it will be soon. Um, yes, uh, it's, it's GoFundMe.com slash in the voice of our mothers. Hmm. Got and it. There's, there's also a website, www.inthevoiceofourmothers, which also has the information. Cool. And that's dot com? Dot, no, it's it's gofundme.com. Oh yeah. My the, website the second is one. dot com. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'll I don't know how the audio will break down, but I'll make sure if if we can't get that information in the audio that I'll, I'll I'd really appreciate that to, to whatever I end up posting from, from this conversation. Fabulous. Carol, I, I really appreciate your time. I wish you the very best and I hope that we get a chance to reconnect at some point. I hope so too, very yeah. much. Yeah. Please give my best to your mother. I totally will.